Uh, we are in our last message in this Elephant in the Room series, so I can't believe it. You know, I think I was only in the fetal position like six times, so that's usually where Jesus helps me out the most. Um, but thank you. I really appreciate your prayers. I know a lot of you are praying for this series. I'm really excited about next the next three weeks, we're going to do a series about friendship with God. Like We're going to be talking about prayer and the essence of prayer and, and how do we pray. And uh, I think it's just going to be an emotional time because uh, there's nothing like prayer. There's, not, there's nothing more powerful in your, in your soul's life than communion with, your, with, with God as our friend. So uh, I'm excited. But this has been really good. It's been really kind of heady, weighty. Uh, before though I get into that, this thing's gonna bug me. So let me just try one more thing. Um, I do need to say next next Sunday we're trying something new. So next Sunday you've heard this a lot. It's probably in, it's in your bulletin. Uh, we are we're going to two services, and we're trying this for uh, five months. So here's here's why we're doing this, and you've heard it before. Maybe you haven't, uh, but we are doing a 9 a.m. service with a full kids program. Uh, and then the 10:30 service, full service as well. Uh, there'll be no kids other than ages zero to four. And if you have kids or you happen to, you know, family comes, they will have the sermon sheets that we experienced last Sunday. If you're with us, or a few weeks ago, where they'll be following along, getting a prize. And here's why we're doing this: We were at a place in our ministry in the summer. We barely had anyone to teach our kids. We needed healthy kids ministry. We felt the most. Uh, important, the most crucial, the most exciting area of ministry, particularly on a Sunday, has to be, if we're going to be a church on the North Shore of families reaching families, has to be kids ministry. We wanted to put all of our weight in the kids ministry basket, and then we came to that. We had nothing, and the number one reason why great, amazing, godly men and women won't stay in the kids ministry is because they don't get to go to a service. It's it's battle out there all week. You guys know this. It's war out there. And so when you miss a Sunday and then all of a sudden the kids teacher next week is sick, so you're on again. And then the next week another one's sick, so you're on again. And you don't get to minister with God's people. You don't get to hear the word. You don't get to this moment with him. It's tough spiritually. So so they're getting hit. And so we just said, well, wait, what if for the sake of kids ministry and servant health, we went to two services so they could go to a service every Sunday. We said as shepherds, as elders, we want everyone who calls the Shore Church home to be able to go to church on a Sunday. So that's the heartbeat around this. I'm praying that God would really bless it. I want you to pray for that. Um, I, I, you know, my, my gut is God's really going to blow on this in, in a like blessing way in January. But what this means for you, especially if you have a family, is if you want your full Sunday school lesson, class, come in here, come to the 9 a.m. If your kids happen to enjoy the 1030 where, or, or you know, the, the time where they got to write sermon notes, or maybe you're late, guess what? You get to come to 1030. Uh, and so I just want to assure you the sermons will be the same. I'm going to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we definitely hit some of these tough subjects a little earlier. But we'll be creative in the future if, if God wants us to continue in this format. But my commitment to us and our kids team is five months to Easter. So I want you to be super excited about our kids ministry. Pray for our kids teachers because if they can get healthy and excited, we can get more teachers who can go to a service every Sunday. Then we can even do kids in both. So, you know, that's why we're doing it. I'm really excited. Please pray for it. The other thing, okay, so... 
we, we, at the same time this was happening, Jordan Chong wants to do a youth service, so he's going to plan that out soon. You'll hear about it. Um, but we also felt this, you know, joy in our hearts to do Sunday school again. I don't know. We're getting a little old school. The bulletin's back out. Anyways, um, you know, we're all going to bed at 830 like old people. No offense. Um, so Sunday school. So we got excited about teaching systematic theology and doing kind of like Sunday school again. So look right at me. If you don't have any kids, you have no excuse. Look, look. Hey, if you don't have any kids, how cool would it be if you came to church all caffeined up at 9 a.m., went to a Sunday school class? So here's what we're doing next week. The Reason for God. This is a video by Tim Keller where, he in, where he's in a, you know, uh, like a forum with non-Christians asking them this question. And then there's a study guide. John LeBond's going to be teaching. He's one of our elders, pastors here. He'll be teaching on the topic as well. Like that's going to be amazing. I think it's going to be really good material. So you have no excuse if you don't have kids. You're going to the nine o'clock for Sunday school. Uh, but here's the other option. If you do have kids and your kids are okay spending a whole morning, like you know traditionally you used to do, where you all go to Sunday school together and then you all go to a service, you can do that as well. Does that make sense? If it doesn't make sense, you guys, I can't make it even more clear. People are like, I'm really confused. Are we going to six gatherings? No, it's just two. Okay. All right. Sorry. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of fired up. I've been praying a ton. So that leads me into the next thing I want us to do. I need, I need your prayers and we need to pray. So here's the prayer things. I'm going to give us a minute of prayer uh, in silence, and I would love for you to pray. You can even pray if you feel comfortable with the, you know, your spouse or the friend next to you, or just by yourself is okay. Um, please pray for next week. Pray for God's good leading. Um, pray for our teams and, and those who serve, and then growth in our children's ministry. Like, let's just ask God for this. And then man, pray for today. I'm asking for some miracles. Uh, I believe God wants to... Uh, heal or set captives free of those who are experiencing shame and or condemnation. So I'm praying for that, but I need your help. So pray for that. Pray that God would show you this morning how you can love someone. If you have any spiritual gifts, which if you're a believer, you do, but if you have gifts that you feel like the Spirit has given you for this morning, please use them. And then we'll get into it. Okay, so you pray, and then I'll pray. Father, it, it seems like a big move of faith, and that's okay, but I just, I, I just want to pray for next week and the following weeks. Lord, I, I just, it, it seemed good to us and the Spirit at the time, and we, 
we uh, really want to just serve your servants really, really well. And I just, I pray, I just, I pray that you would strengthen hearts. And Lord, I pray for those, those, um, those who are, who are, it'll feel small at times, but I just, I pray we would, we would care more about like being with you in this audience of one than we would how we feel in this room. And so your word says in Proverbs that we should commit our plans to you. So we want to do that. We want to commit next Sunday and, and to you and ask that you would fill it and, and lead. Pray for more volunteers and also just, I want to ask for power. I want to ask for authority in Jesus' name. I want to ask for hearts that have been spiritually in a war, feeling shame, feeling condemnation. I pray that that would be gone today, that you would heal, set free, speak. I pray for those who this elephant in the room is kind of the biggest one in their friendships that you would just help me help them and equip us. But I thank you for the men and women in this room. I love them and you love them and you're here to meet with us. So I pray that as we listen, we'd be almost listening from your heart as a good father, as a good God. And if there's someone in here who's not a Christian, I just ask you would knock so hard on their soul today and it would swing wide open and you'd save them. I pray for healing and I pray for the prophetic in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Uh, We're going to start with exclusivity. So the topic today is, you know, the whole aim of this series is what are those huge issues that are in our everyday lives that often you know, will keep us from sharing our faith. And this one, I think, is a little older than the ones we've hit today, Uh, meaning, like, I think when I was, you know, in high school, this was a bigger issue than I think it is today. But you guys can correct me after, maybe, um, if you want. But the the issue is, you know, how can you say Jesus is the only way? Like, you know, it seems a little bit, you can believe that Jesus is true for you, and that's fine. Jesus can be really true for you, he can work for you, but it's very arrogant or it's, it's wrong to think Jesus rightly demands allegiance of every human being, regardless of one's cultural background or current belief. And are you, are, are you, that's, that's very offensive. It's, it's not humble, right? And you work with, if you, if you work with a Muslim or a Hindu or someone of other, you know, an agnostic or a different belief system, you, you feel, you feel this one, right? This is like, are you saying that I am wrong? Are you saying that, I, that I'm going to go to hell, even though I do, you know, we volunteer at the same place? Are you, is this what you're saying? Is this what you Christians believe? Right? What do you say? And um, it's interesting, on the, the elephant, this is the, the elephant, uh, which is a borrowed analogy from Hinduism, is often used for arguments against us or Christians saying that Jesus is the only way, right? How many of you have seen this? Here's an image. Uh, or here's a, here's, a, here's a common sentence that you'd hear. God is too big 
for just one religion, right? That's the, that's the idea. So here's the image going to the elephant. How many of you have you've heard this? Have you seen this? Has anyone ever brought this up to you? I just actually am really curious because this could be really, I'm, I could be outdated, but so teens, if you've seen this or heard this, raise your hand. How many of you have heard someone say something along the lines of, you know, all the religions are equal past. No one has the right, you know, the right perfect. Everyone has individual limitations. No one's perfectly right. You've heard this. Okay, so if you haven't, let me just share with you um, what it is. So in this analogy, people will say that all religions are like a group of blind men or all perspectives or all, you know, ways of getting to God are like a group of blind men and basically it's exactly what you see one one blind person says oh how smooth right they they touch the 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 uh, side and they're like this is like a wall okay and another blind man puts on his hand puts out his hand he touches the trunk of the elephant oh how round an elephant is like a snake the third blind man put out his hand and touched the tusk oh the elephant how sharp an elephant is like a spear the fourth blind man put out his hand and touched the leg of the elephant. Oh, how tall an elephant is like a tree. The fifth blind man reached out his hand, touched the ear of the elephant. Oh, how wide an elephant is like a fan. The sixth blind man put out his hand and touched the tail of the elephant. Oh, how thin an elephant is like a rope. Right? And so as the story goes, each blind man, this is really important, this, each blind man thinks his own experience of the elephant is the correct one. Right, it's it's you've experienced this is true for you, and this is to you, this is the correct one. But you are only limited; you're only touching this side. And so, in the ancient story, there's a king who then awakens, like this is the Hindu story, by the commotion. He calls out from the balcony. There's the king. You fools! You're all touching the same reality. The elephant is a big animal. You know. He said, each man touched only one part. You must put all the parts together to find out what an elephant is like. So, in, so follow me here. Enlightened by uh, the king's wisdom, the blind man reached agreement. And here's the agreement. And this is, what, this is what people want you to feel in your office or in, in the park. Or Each one of us only knows a part. So to find out the whole truth, we must put all the parts together. We, we need to... We need, to, we need to find the similarities. We need to coexist, right? We got the cool symbols. Let's spell it. That worked out really well. Um, in the end, all of us must humbly admit we are blind men when it comes to God. And we must admit, and so th- this, is, this is the, I would assert the lie. All religions are not right or wrong. But rather, each holds an aspect of truth. So we all, we're all just grasping in the dark, thinking we know more than we do. We know in part. We don't really know who he is. Like, let's be honest. How many of you, in that, with that person you really love, feel safe in this? Where you almost just can't get out of that. It's like, that seems so strong I will feel so exclusive to say anything else. How many of you, have, you almost just feel like stuck. Anyone? Or anyone, is everyone just like so good at getting through this? Uh, this is hard for me. This one's hard for me. Because you, the, whatever you say, even if you like, okay, so we got to ask because 
the Bible, this is our theme verse. This is our last sermon on this. But here's, here's the verse that's been pulling our hearts the entire time. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Like literally set apart, like, like beautiful, the only one. Always being prepared, always being prepared to make a defense, explain to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You have hope in you. But yet, do it with gentleness and respect. So what do you say on this elephant? Well, with gentleness and respect and genuine love, you need to say, you ready? You guys are ready. You need to say something like, I'd love to talk about this. Just enter into it. Say, I would love to talk about this. It's an interesting perspective on spiritual reality. And then ask, would you be willing to enter into a sincere dialogue on this where we can even disagree with each other? And then wait for a response. On this elephant in the room, you almost got to be like MacGyver. Because the bomb is like, tick, 10, 9, 8. And you're like, I'm going to blow up if I say anything. So you just got to be like, and what you need to do is you need to ask for a dialogue. You can say, are you, I would love, you know, it's a really interesting perspective on spiritual reality. Because they've said one. How can you say that? When they say all religions are universal, all religions, that's his perspective on spiritual reality. So you say, that's really interesting. Would you be willing to talk about this? And say, would you be willing to even disagree? And say something along the lines, and we've been learning this as, a, as an identity, but I think you're amazing. I think you're super smart. And tell them, I respect your beliefs about your, this religion that you'd like me to consider. And then I think it's okay to say, I don't believe disagreement is evidence of disrespect. You have to say that. So write that down in your phone. You, you have to say that disagreement is not evidence of disrespect. They need to hear you saying, I actually respect what you believe so much that I want to hear. And disagreement isn't evidence of disrespect. That's just our culture has gotten strange on this whole thing. Okay, there's a friend. I don't know if he's here. I shouldn't point him out. Uh, you're like, there's a friend in this in the, in our congregation that I love, who's an atheist, and and we we sit down, we have great meals together, and we discuss probably three or four times a year, um, just different perspectives. And listen, I respect him so much, and I, I respect his ideas. I I take his ideas very seriously. Uh, and he's a good friend, and I just, I think our society has lost the art of debate with friendships. Like, we can't, um, so, so that's, that's just the first thing. On this elephant, we've talked about different elephants, so you can go back in the sermon series and listen to different ones, but on this elephant, ask for a conversation, um, diffuse what feels like the bomb's about to blow up, and ask them if we, if we can just dialogue. Honestly, that is the best route because you have to acknowledge they have a view of spiritual reality that's different than yours. And all the other religions are also fundamentally different than each other. But we need, you, you can't just say that sentence without asking for a conversation. So if they give you that, praise God, you're a good friend with them. Um, well, so I'm just gonna hit pause on like kind of what to do. And I want you to, I want you to come into this realm for now. 
how do you think right now? Here's what you need to think. Uh, and you can ask liberals, you can ask atheists, well, maybe not atheists, all of them, but um, the air that you and I breathe, so if you're in, in high school, this is the air you breathe the most, is this. Here, here, this is a quote from a prize-winning journalist in the New York Times who confessed, we liberals champion tolerance except for conservatives and evangelical Christians. We want to be inclusive of people who don't look like us so long as they think like us. That is true. Now, be humble, it's also true of Christians. We could put our, we could put we Christians champion tolerance except for, you know, liberals or atheists. We want to be inclusive of all people who don't, as long as they, so, but just recognize that's in the air. You'll see why that's important in a second. Um, so, you're asking for a dialogue, then here's what you need to do. So once you get a dialogue, you have to begin with Jesus' words. This is so key. Now you can and should, if this analogy of the elephant in the room has been brought up, uh, use it. And I'm going to tell you how to use it. Now, if it hasn't been brought up, you bring it up. This is really key. They need to hear that you're not like, you know, some like faith, whimsy Christian who doesn't really think that much, which is what people believe about Christians. But you need to bring up the elephant in the room. You can say, does it feel like this? And then use the analogy to show them that you really know what what they are kind of thinking and ask them, is this what you believe? That all religions are, are, are equal, but we're all feeling different parts. And, and then, okay, so here's what you need to do. Before you get to Jesus, you need to show them something is wrong with that analogy, okay? So what are you gonna show them? Uh, let me tell you. So in the tale of the blind man and the elephant, it only works, it only works because the narrator speaks. Notice that the story ends with the king who can explain the reality of the elephant. Think about this. The blind man need revelation in order to receive what's even happening and the truth that that could even be. So revelation changes everything. The reason the blind man and the elephant doesn't work as an illustration of the various religions is because, and here's the second thing, three of the Abrahamic faiths would say that the elephant, as a metaphor, can speak. Even though the men are blind, the elephant isn't necessarily mute. As one writes, this is a factor the illustration doesn't allow for. What if the elephant speaks? Right? What if he tells the blind men, that wall structure is my side? Oh, yeah, the fan, it's my ear. Oh, that's not a rope. It's a tail. If the elephant were to say all this, would the six blind men be considered humble for ignoring his word? So here's what I'm trying to say. The claim of Christianity is, is that, that man doesn't learn about God by groping. Instead, discovery is through God's own self-disclosure. He is not passive and silent, leaving us to guess about his nature. You need, you need to be able to say in this parable it doesn't work because in this parable, we're not groping. Actually, the elephant speaks. If God speaks, this changes everything. The parable of the blind man does not take this possibility into account. It doesn't. 
on the analogy itself, yet the three of the world's greatest religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, make this claim. Now, this could, and it doesn't have to, but this will lead to a discussion on religion. Don't worry, we're going to get to a lot of Bible soon, but follow me. Okay, so then if, if you say the analogy doesn't work because in these three religions the elephant speaks, would you be willing to hear what, what Jesus has to say? You can disagree with what Jesus has to say, but would you be willing to hear it? They might say, well, what's the difference between these three religions? And then I think you need to do some homework. But I will say this. I will say this. You, every religion will need to come in and does to form itself into a religion, to form itself into any worldview, needs to answer questions about these four things. You can write them down if you want. Uh, origin. Every religion has to answer origin. Where did life begin? All that stuff. Meaning. Where does meaning exist? What is the ultimate purpose? So in Buddhism, it's getting rid of pleasure and all that. So what meaning? So, so origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And all... Four of those questions need to be answered in truth, which corresponds to reality. It has to have some form of empirical measurement. You need to be able to historically, in in them explaining these four, it has to have some empirical measurements that corresponds to reality, which is truth. It also needs to be coherent in all those four answers. And I guarantee you, if you looked at each religion and and asked those four questions only in the Christian Judeo view, do you have a coherent, full answer? Now, you're going to have to do your own study on that. It's a different sermon. We can write in the next elephant in the room. But um, I want to say really interestingly, of the historical documents that we study, scholars have today, the Quran is the only... There is no other. There is the only historical claim document that denies that Jesus Christ actually died on the cross. They say he he almost died. He didn't actually die. But just so you know, Roman historians say Jesus died on the cross. Greek historians say that he died. Pagan historians say that he died. Jewish historians say that he died. Christian historians say that he died. Time Magazine still claims Jesus to be the most famous person in the world because of his death on a cross and supposed resurrection, which changed a Jewish worldview overnight, basically, in the first century. The resurrection is the most powerful foundation you have historically to claiming all that Jesus said is true. So, again, we're, 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 we're still dealing with this elephant in the room. It might go to the other religions. And if so, be ready. Be ready. But I would back up and say, would you be willing to hear what Jesus said about himself? Just ask them. And if they are, you got to write down all these references and have a little sticky note in your Bible or on your phone. These will all be in the CG handout. But you go to places. You go to lots of places. You, you're in a conversation. Remember, you ask for a conversation You could even ask, this is actually a good idea, you could even ask uh, what they believe about origin, what they believe about meaning, where does meaning meaning matter, where does it come from, morality uh, and destiny, you could ask them, get to know, like love people, like again, the, the goal of this series is not like, we're right, and it's no, it's, 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 we want you to have an experience and a live encounter with Jesus Christ, um, okay, 
So here, so here, so then you're ready. You're like, would you be willing? They're like, yes, okay. So one of the first ones you want to go to, there's many. So you'll have, you can have more maybe in your CGs. You can think of more, but here's, for, here's the first one. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And one of the things that you can say is, is this speaks to our, our soul's hunger. Like Jesus is saying, if you have him, that, that longing in your soul for worth, value, he says only he will satisfy that. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 6, 51, you could go to, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Jesus is claiming that he, he's come down from heaven, that there's a divine and he said, again, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So he's, he's the living bread that if you have him in, in you, you will live forever. This is what he's saying, that Jesus is the solution to our soul's longing. So you're, just, you're quoting him. Then you can go to John 14 where Jesus then just says, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm the way. Jesus says, I am am the direction. I'm the path. This word, it means a line leading to a place or point. I am the line to the Father, to God. Jesus himself is claiming to all you mountain bikers, okay, Lloyd and Brad and Cody. You three are going to love this one. You know, Jesus, Jesus himself is claiming to be the trail to the parking lot. You know, I love, when I love mountain bike, oh, no, Caleb, you like the pros are in here. What am I saying? I'm sorry, dudes. But, like, when you see, like, the trail path names, you know this is, the, this is the way into the parking lot. Jesus is the only way to the parking lot. John 8, 23, he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now look right at me. This is where you want to go. There is no solution. Jesus says, apart from belief in him for human sin. You want to go here, especially on the issue of exclusivity. The reason why Jesus is saying these things is he is saying he is the only solution on planet Earth for what is wrong, what's broken, sin. And trust the Holy Spirit will convict. John 11, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Those are big claims. You should memorize those ones. Okay, Peter, after Jesus rose from death with boldness and full of the Holy Spirit, in Acts 4.12, says really clearly, and, there's no, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So you have to explain salvation in Christianity is 
something Jesus claims to have accomplished in his death and resurrection. So anyone who comes through Jesus has what he is and in them has eternal life. And they need to say this is the most inclusive religion because Jesus says all who come to me, everyone can come to me to receive this gift of eternal life. Tim Keller in a sermon says this, it'll be on the screen. When you say, I think it's important to say, all good people can go to heaven if they really try, regardless of what religion they're in. He says, just realize what you've done. You're actually teaching a system of salvation. Well, oh no, you say, I'm not teaching any system. I'm saying all systems are ways to get to God if you're good. No, as soon as you say that, you're teaching something that traditionally has been called justification by works. It is a system of thinking. It's a religious system that Christianity utterly rejects and is still based on a view of God. If you say, I believe all good people, I say, well, do you mean perfect people? Like, how, you know, what's the line? Oh, no, God doesn't require a person to be perfect. No one's perfect. God will overlook sins. Not that big. I mean, not the big, big, big sins, though. People who have been genocidal maniacs don't go to heaven, but the smaller sins... You have a view of God that you're pushing on me at the moment. You have a view of salvation. We could also say, and this is really, really important. I don't know where you're going to bring this up in your conversation, but um, to claim Christians and Muslims and Hindus are just two sides of the same truth coin reduces pluralism to a patronizing posture where you don't respect others enough to take their beliefs serious. Does that make sense? When, when you say Christians and Muslims and Hindus, you know, they're the same, there's two sides, and th that's patronizing. Like, like, think about it. If you talk to a Muslim and they say, we believe our faith is the true faith, and you say, that's narrow-minded, I believe all faiths are equal and important and equally valid. Do you know what you're doing? You're saying my take on spiritual reality is right and your take on spirituality is wrong. It's, it's, and it's, it, you're not thoughtful. It'd be better for you, for you Muslims, to think like we do. That's exclusive. I think, it's, I think it's important to, if you can, in your conversations, point out how everyone's exclusive. And then go to, the reason you're a Christian is because of the claims of Jesus and how Jesus can answer the best questions on origin, meaning, morality. And then you got to talk about your testimony. This is really key. Like, the fact that you're saved and that your life's changed is, is a miracle. Like, you, you got to share your story. Because on this answer, you're not going to have, like, this sweet, like, oh, my, like, you know? So you just have to know that on this one, because our culture says the greatest God of your life is that you're right in your own eyes and no one can tell you otherwise. You're, you're not going to win on, on, like, helping them see the exclusivity of Jesus' claims. You have to show them the reality of Jesus in your life, in his word, 
you're the mailman. You're not like, I'm not, I'm going on what he said. He's changed my life. You should listen to what he says. And I would just ask him, would you be willing, to, like, if you're not a Christian in this room, I would ask you, would you be willing to read all four gospels? Just, would you be willing to read them? And if, and if your Hindu friend says, will you, will you read my scriptures? Say, of course, and then do it. Okay. I know what you're thinking. Well, I've heard that before, but that's fine. Okay, let's move on. Eternal security. Is that not really, I don't even know what time it is. Was that really long? I'm so sorry. Okay, this is going to be longer. Um, uh, Hebrews 6. So here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. So the elephant in the room in many churches that challenge the nature of salvation. So if we're saying Jesus is the only way for salvation, Jesus has accomplished salvation, that's what makes him exclusive on his own claims. In the church, there's another elephant that says, is his salvation powerful enough? Does it extend far enough that if you're saved, are you always saved? Can you lose your salvation so what I, the way I want to navigate this is I want to begin with the tougher scriptures that seem to say you can lose your salvation, the ones that those who believe that say they can. And then I want to show you the plethora of other verses that actually show you uh, that your salvation is securely kept in heaven for you, sealed by the Holy Spirit. So I want to, sh- I want to talk about eternal security and how you can know you're, you're saved. Okay? Okay. So it's like sermon two. Do we need a potty break? We could. And then go get some coffee, come back. It's too long anyways. Okay. Um, Here's the verse. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. Now these, you just got it. This language is very purposeful. Just watch this language. Okay. All the language and have tasted. So taste, you've tasted it tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they're crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Few things. So we're talking about eternal security to say, you can keep that up if you want for me, Levi. And I'll show you this. Again, there are significantly more passages in the Bible that affirm God's salvation is eternally secure. We'll get to those. So, when faced with difficult passages that you have to interpret, or Bible teachers or interpreters have to interpret, the rule of interpretation is that you interpret them in light of the other clearer ones. That's just good Bible exegesis. Hebrews... So here we go. The book of Hebrews, this is where this is found, is written to a Jewish audience. Jews who were in the line of Jesus. Jesus comes in with a new covenant. He says he's their Messiah they've been waiting for. He fulfills the law. And so all of Hebrews, how many of you have read the book of Hebrews? Show of hands. Yeah, you've read the book. Of, how many? Well, I better not do that. So you've read Hebrews. So you'll know Hebrews is like, ah, the order of Melchizedek and the fulfillment of the law. And the, and the, the, the curtain is now the way into So it's fulfilling the entire Old Testament. In this context of this verse, you need to know that, that he is referring to, he's pointing out to the listeners, to the audience, that just as there were those who left Egypt with Moses, 
who experienced the miracles. They actually had supernatural privileges of experiencing salvation. Like they were in the doors when, when the angel passed over the blood and they could hear the screams of the firstborns dying and, and they got to see the water just shed open. They were there. Like they got to experience it. They actually got to hear the booming voice of God with Moses on the mountain and go, oh, did you guys hear that? That was the voice. They were there. They experienced it. But many of them died in the wilderness. He says, so too there will be those in the church. He's saying not everyone who believes or is affiliated, who experiences the Spirit, just like in the, New, just like in the Old Testament, and the Word, and, and the miracles, and the worship of God's people, are genuinely saved. So, in fact, he's saying it will be impossible for them to have experienced all that and then, while rejecting God, come back. So, the, so apostasy is not, I'm struggling with sin, man, I want to, oh, I just, I got this thing in my life. Apostasy is them leaving after tasting it. They fall away. They're going, God is not real. They're leaving it. He's saying they were never, just like Israel, experienced it all. They died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. So now I'm going to show you tons of Bible, okay? Don't just, that's one interpretation of this passage. So I think he's pleading with them to not be Israel and die in the desert, which happened as, as their hearts towards God grew hard. That's what happened. If you read your Old Testament, they slowly brought in other gods. They slowly didn't want to live for God. And their hearts grew hard, and that's what happens. That's exactly what Jesus explains exactly in the parable of the four seeds. In the parable of the four seeds, Jesus sows the word of God. Two, three, one snatched away, three come in. They seem to sink into a heart. There's experience of salvation. Three of them walk an aisle. Three of them experience, my sin sucks. I am so sorry. Jesus is real Three of them experience genuine, sincere belief. Now, just follow me here. Belief, Jesus explains, two of the three die out. Don't make it. One, because the pleasures of this earth pull them away from God, away from their experiencing of the Spirit, of the Word of God, of all of that, and they'd rather live for this world and they go, it's choked. The other one gets burnt with fire because the persecution, the suffering of following Jesus was too hard. They don't persevere. There's a fourth soil that does. So the, the texts are saying almost the same thing. Now keep going with me, John chapter 8. Many people believe. Many people will taste the heavenly gift. If, how many of you are around that's going to age you? during Billy Graham's time, okay? Billy Graham, Billy Graham. Lots of people walk in the aisle, okay? Love Billy Graham. Many people believe in Jesus, but not all who believe are saved, okay? I'm gonna show you this. Let me show you this. Jesus said to them, talking, now here's what's interesting, okay? Now, I just, this came to me today, so I haven't tested this in every scripture, so you could be like, mm, you're wrong. That's fine. John, well, you can help me. You can just shake this if you think I'm wrong. And then I'll be like, oh, we'll cut this, Jill. This is so embarrassing. Okay. 
Um, in every passage that, that seems to suggest apostasy, it looks as though he's talking to the Jews or the religious leaders um, or Jewish upbringing. Never doesn't really seem to talk about this with the Gentiles. So again, he's talking to Pharisees. And here's what he says. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. He knows, they know that they're talking about the Messiah. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus says, I'm, I'm really the Messiah. I'm doing what God, Yahweh, is telling me. I only do what pleases Yahweh. On that, we read this. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So notice, there's a kind of belief here that seems to go into the soil. Three soils. Only one of the soils is deep. These two aren't. There's belief. Messiah, only pleasing God. Okay? Okay. Then he says... um, and he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you remain, if you stay in my word, and then he says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's salvation, free from what? The truth of abiding in Jesus, the gospel. That's how you get saved. And listen to their answer. They answered him, we have our own salvation. We are are offspring of Abraham. They're trusting in lineage and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin the slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. Jesus is going to get that sin out. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Notice while they are believing, there's a partial. They're still holding on to their own way of being saved, of being an offspring of Abraham. And Jesus says, you're needing freedom from trying to be your own savior. True salvation won't be partial. True salvation will not just be intellectual. True salvation will not be in proximity into being born in a Christian home or in a nation or be superficial. When, when, when you're truly following Jesus, you'll remain in the gospel. In me, he's saying, he's saying, then you will be set free. You will know you'll be free from guilt, from, from power in the presence of sin. Having a heritage won't be what you trust anymore. There will be gospel fruits, soil fruit, where you will become my friend and there'll be this fellowship. Now, now here's what I'm trying to point out. In James chapter two, Jesus said, Jesus, James, Jesus' half-brother says to the same audience, the Jews, you believe in God. You do well. And then he says, so do the demons. Even the demons believe in God. Okay, show of hands. How many people think the demons are going to go to heaven? Anyone? No. You're like, no. 
there's a kind of belief that isn't genuine belief. Hebrews is not saying you can be a Christian. You can be forgiven. You can have Jesus, the son, set you free. You can be in the family of God and then do something that somehow is more powerful than the cross and Jesus setting you free that somehow gets you kicked out of the family. No, the text is saying it's possible to experience the family dinner, be invited, have a great time, taste the food, and not be truly his. Jesus said this would happen. He said this would happen. You can just go to other scriptures that, that, that all agree with this. Go to, go to Matthew 7. Listen to what Jesus says. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not have dinner with you? Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Look right at me. He doesn't say, I once knew you, and now I don't. He doesn't say that. What does he say? I what? Say it out loud. I never I never knew you. Do you know who cast out demons and experienced profound miracles who were a part of it, who got to actually hear the word of God himself? Judas. He wasn't genuinely saved. It's possible to be sincere, to do life in the church, to walk an aisle and never have friendship or fellowship with God. It's possible to even feel bad for when your wife catches you do something you shouldn't, come to church, cry a lot. I've been in a, I've been in a room where I watched a guy who committed adultery multiple times on his wife weep over his sin and then in three days and he's still not a Christian walk away from her God and everything it, it, the Bible teaches us to examine and test I'm going to give you another verse 1 Corinthians 13 5 says examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith so with the topic of eternal security, the Bible wants to be so clear. Jesus wants to be so gracious, so loud, so powerful in your life that the overwhelming majority of scripture teaches you that the nature and essence of salvation is that it's forever. So now here's what I wanna do. I wanna show you these verses and I'm just gonna ask some questions, okay? So that's what we're gonna do. And I want you to, because if you have a friendship with Jesus, these, the, your heart's going to feel a little warm right now. You're going to be like, you're going to sing a little hymn. Okay, John 6, 35, we're going to read it again. I don't care about our time today. It's my last going long, so I'm really sorry. Here we go. Uh, I am the bread of life. Is it on there? Yes. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Look, all of you who struggle with losing your salvation, memorize verse 37. All 
that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Some of you need to hear that. I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose how much? Nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Okay, so I, I just want to read some Bible and ask some questions. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to seal and solidify and show his love for you in these texts. So I'm going to pray. Jesus, right now, I want to ask that as we read these passages, you would supernaturally assure in our inner beings how deep and high and strong the love of God is. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. So here's my question about this text. Can you put it back up for me? Here's my question. How perfect is the Father's will? Verse 39 says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me. How perfect is the will of the Father? Yell it out. It's perfect. So here's the second question. How good is Jesus at his job? He's perfect. He says this, I should lose nothing of all that he's given me. Guess what? I looked up the Greek word nothing. It doesn't mean some. It literally means it doesn't. He doesn't say I should lose some of all that he's given me, and I guess some will be raised up on the last day. That's true. The next verse says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son of Man and believes in him should have eternal life, eternal security. Charles Spurgeon said, if our religion be of our own getting or making, it will perish. And the sooner it goes, the better. But if our religion is a matter of God's giving, we know that he shall never take back what he gives in that if he has commenced to work in us by his grace, he will never leave it unfinished. Which takes us to, want to go to the next slide? So there's the quote. Takes us to this verse. The question is, when you ask, can you lose your salvation? You need to ask the better question, what is the nature of salvation? Or what is it? What, what is it we can't lose or could lose? And if God commits to glorify those who justifies, why do we think he won't? So here's what Romans 8 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn after the resurrection among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. That's a legal declaration after his death paid for every sin that you're forgiven. And those he justified, he also glorified. So here's the question. What does this text say salvation is? Salvation is something procured in Jesus, death and resurrection that is unbreakable, unshakable. Justification means declared right, innocent. It means the court is adjourned. So here's my question. Does it mean what it says? Or here's a better question. And this is the question you need to ask people who think they're going to lose it. 
Is your sin more powerful than Christ's blood? But don't let them get away from that. Get an answer. Is your sin, are you the nut he couldn't crack? Like, is your weakness more powerful than God's might? Here's, a, here's another verse, 1 Corinthians 1, 8 to 9. He will keep you strong. For how long? To the end. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship. That's what salvation is. God, who has called you into friendship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. How long does God commit to keep us blameless? To the end. This is going to seem weird, but if you have a voice going on in your head that is saying this is not you or is even giving you lustful thoughts or is just really spiraling your heart like you can feel something pounding on your chest, I believe Jesus wants you right now to admit to him you don't believe this verse. And I want you to ask him right now to forgive you for not believing this. And that he loves you. That he didn't miss a, he didn't miss a sin. There wasn't a time he didn't, see, he didn't see in your life that he didn't see when he was dying for you. And he forgave that. If you hear his voice, if you, if you hear a voice midweek telling you you're condemned, that you are unworthy of God's love, that your sexual sin is so disgusting that you will never be able to run away from shame, you need to know that's a lie. Someone gave us a word today for the body that Jesus is holding that burden off you. And that spirit that's lying to you is trying to keep that on you. Hebrews 7.25, it'll be on the screen, says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he, Jesus, always lives to intercede for them. You are not your shame. You are not what that voice says. Look right at me. 
the Father in heaven who's in this room wants you to know you're his son and you are his daughter. For him, salvation is not proving himself to you. Salvation is not something you need to hold into your own. His salvation is, is, mainly about, is not mainly about getting a court case right. His salvation is about your adoption. Romans 8.15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Your, you cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never leave you. If you are carrying any of that right now or any, any sense of shame or condemnation or you hear, you hear a voice even in this sermon or in the, during the week, I'm going to ask you to stand up. I want you to, I really believe God is going to completely heal you and completely ask that condemnation and shame to to leave. So if you have that, if you have a voice that's been telling you during the sermon, I want you to stand up. Thank you. Yeah. I think there's two more people. Yep. Now, I've never done this before, but I'm going to have our body pray for you. But I'm going to actually pray for you first. And then the band can come up while they're praying and play, and they'll lead us in time and response. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, right now, I just ask that those who are standing here, who have heard that this is not for them, that I just, I speak right now in the name of Jesus Christ to those spirits that are lying to them, that right now, I pray that they, that you would command them to leave in Jesus' name, that they cannot come back. Those spirits that are, that are lying to these men and women who are standing who have haunted them and have lied to them. I command that they come up right now, wherever they are, and they need to leave. I command them in the name of Jesus Christ, be gone. You need to leave right now.
in Jesus' name. All right, now, church, I want you to stand around them, and I want you to pray for cleansing, and I want you to pray for love, and I want you to pray whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to pray for them. And in about three, four minutes, I want you to pray. Like, I want you to pray, pray. So even if, even if you don't know them or you can't get around them, pray in your seat, but pray. Pray for them who stood. And then we'll sing and close.